Should we do a countdown? Four, three. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this Friday's version of Hollywood Breaks. Keith's supplying us with a countdown, so we're all we're really <laughs> professional today. We're going to win that for real, no doubt about it. We're legit now, man. <laughs> uh, it's good to be with you this Friday, Keith. There's a lot of great things that are happening. I have to say one of the most exciting things I had happened to me in the last seven days is I actually went to the movies. I went into a theater. I bought a ticket. Jealous. And some popcorn, and I watched a film. Well, what did you see, Tim? <laughs> was that a setup? <laughs> I did yeah. not. I did not get to shake any celebrities' hands. If you're wondering, I, uh, uh, I saw, you didn't see Liam. You didn't get to see Liam. No, I did not. <laughs> I actually saw the um, the sequel to Seven, the Little Things. Oh yes. <laughs> Let me, the, what it was Little Things. The Little, little things. things. Yeah. Yeah. It, it truly. Uh, there was a moment in there. I was watching this movie. I was thinking, I think this is the Seven movie. It has Denzel Washington, uh, Rami. What's his name? Malik. Rami Malik. Malik and Jared Leto. And I was thinking like, this is totally Morgan Freeman, Brad Pitt and Kevin Spacey, just 2000 version. Only of not nearly as good. <laughs> I hate to say it. <laughs> it uh, I don't think it's gonna get the um, the cult following, let's say. But I, no. it's probably because the title sequence was not as good as the seven title sequence. <laughs> Gee, <laughs> why would that be? Maybe because you weren't involved with it, Tim. That's they, why. That's they it. Should have called there me. It is. They should have called you. Totally called me. We need you to replicate seven. Come on, you can do it. But I do say, like, um, it was it was fun to be in the theater to have some time just sitting there. Um, you know, I, the theater near me isn't usually sold out anyway, and this kind of film wouldn't sell, sell out a theater. So I think we're at thirty percent capacity or something like that. Every seat that could be sold was sold. So that's kind of cool for the local theater, as good as they can that's get. That's good. Yeah. And the refreshment line was long. So my encouragement is anyone going to the theater, go buy the refreshments because that's where they're making their money. That's where they're making their dough. Yep. Yeah. And um, and like to see the, the theaters open up was really, really cool. I, I know that um, Cinemark, that's the theater I went to, they actually had some run-ins with Disney over the mm -hmm. last couple of weeks. Um, what was the movie that they that they were struggling with. That. Uh, so it was, there was a little bit of an issue with Raya. Raya. Ooh, I think I'm brutalizing it. Uh, Raya and the Last Dragon. Um, I guess what happened was, um, yeah, Cinemark refused to abide by um, Disney's rental terms, um, which were in a standard environment. Well, Disney, for a little background for everyone, Disney is always very tough on their rental terms, most more often than not. And they, they kind of can be because they have Avengers, they have Star Wars, you know, come on. Like you want to carry those movies if you're an exhibitor. But they seem to enforce the same rental terms on the exhibitors, even though one, we're in the midst of a pandemic. Two, the movie was being offered for $30 premium fee on Disney Plus. Yeah, right. And three, most theaters are not at nearly full capacity. New York is still at 25. LA is supposedly opening next week. I just found out this week that Pennsylvania only recently lifted theirs to 15. So it's still not where everybody else is. So, and you know, this is splayed throughout the country. They're all over the place. So it seems to me a little uh, rough for Disney to push um, the exhibitors to um, to standard rental terms when we're not really in a traditional market. And interestingly enough, during the uh, earnings call, um, 
Bob Chapin got asked this question by a young girl was like, I want my, my Girl Scout troop, we sold cookies and we wanted to use the money to rent out a theater so we could watch Raya, but our theater wasn't, didn't have the print. And oh, he was like, great. oh, well. <laughs> well, whoops. You know what, talking to Kyle Davies last week, just about the relationship that studios have to have with the distributors and these rental yeah. deals obviously where things fall into place. One thing he made clear last week is that you can't really hold it against the theater. Every, sh every movie has to be um, kind of sold and rented differently. You can't uh, uh, right. you know, push them together. Um, but you know that Disney, this kind of shows a little bit of their muscle of like, well, if you don't take this deal, I, it makes you wonder what Cinemark's going to have or have to pay when it comes to some of the bigger ticket deals that are coming mm -hmm. up. I mean, the, uh, with uh, Widow coming out this summer and that kind of stuff, you know there's some big long plays here. And, you know, Disney's not always happy. Or the studios aren't always happy when they give the distributor um, only their box office hits and they don't take the, the, the blockbuster the movies and not the smaller shows. So yeah. you'll see. But I think you're right. Like I, I think Disney might kind of miss the mark a little bit on what it really means to open a theater to to really partner with your distributors and make it a win-win for them. Yeah, it does. It doesn't seem they lost some sensitivity to to that. Kind well, of it's interesting because we've been talk, sort of talking about this as a theme, running theme. Each distributor has taken a sort of a different tact with the exhibitors. Like Universal, at first at the start of the pandemic, was very sort of um, in their face and say, no, we're going to release Trolls World, World Tour. We don't care. And AMC was like, we're done with Universal. We're never releasing their movies ever again. And then they came back and like, okay, wait, we'll talk to you. And then they came out with this deal that sort of had like breakpoints in terms of how much money they would give the exhibitors and that kind of thing. And then HBO Max, or I should say Warner Media, when they released their entire slate on HBO Max, as well as in theaters, they kind of gave the exhibitors some lean, a little bit more lenient terms and uh, for rental agreements. Whereas Disney's like, no we're going to stick to our traditional agreement. You have to do a two week run 50% if it opens, if it, the box office run is this 51% if it's this. And these companies are like struggling <laughs> to keep the lights yeah. on and Disney's there saying, no, 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 this is how we're going to do it. Now, as I said, Disney's notoriously difficult on, 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 on exhibitors at times, but they kind of have the muscle to do it. I, it's just interesting to me that they chose this Avenue given this time when if the theaters are really going to survive this and we are going to be able to get people back into theater, into the theaters, then there has to be a little less of the sort of push and pull and a little bit more of the let's figure out how we're going to save this business. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's go in it together. But I'll yeah. run a counterpoint to this, though, because, again, like so our theater running at a smaller capacity um, sold out. And honestly, when I looked at the app, I couldn't buy a ticket for five days or six days, something like that. So, you know, the the, the two week minimum rental that one was easy to kind of get beyond. And you could mm -hmm. imagine Raya being in the theater now for four or six weeks um, and still be very relevant for that four to six weeks um, in period because there's this opportunity for them to participate at a longer period. And Cinemark might have missed the mark on, on this deal too, not knowing, kind of thinking about the old terms of like it would only run for two weeks. So there is something going on in kind of the, the relationship. And I think I'm with you as a fan. I just want somebody to, the teams to get together and know that we're in this together. Let's just get as many people as possible in the theater and uh, seeing the films that they should be seeing. And yeah. um, I, I do think we're kind of seeing a little bit of the B list rolling itself out just because um, they know 
people are hungry to go to the movies and they'll watch just about anything. Um, we'll see what really happens this summer because with um, we've been watching to see what Universal is going to do, what Disney's going to do with Widow, what Universal is going to do with Fast and Furious. And we know that this big summer blockbusters are coming up. It'll be kind of curious how uh, this early relationship ch changes that. Well, Universal has already blinked. <laughs> they, uh, they just announced this week they're pushing Fast, oh, I'm sorry, F9 to uh, uh, June 25th rather than Memorial Day of May 28th. So they're clearly not confident there's going to be enough to open. Um, I also think it's, it, it's, it's we, we do need to start thinking a little bit more globally as well, because it's not just the domestic theaters that are, that are an issue here. To make these movies worthwhile and to make some sort of revenue return on them, the most, vast majority of the theaters around the globe need to be open. And right yeah. now that's just not the case. So I think, you know, we'll, we'll see how it shifts. Bob what Chabig the, again um, mentioned what was the Fast and Furious date. Uh, it was originally the 28th, so it was Memorial Day. Yeah, but they just bumped it to the 25th of June, so they pushed it a month. A month. Wow. Yeah, with um, with the announcement from Biden this week about trying to get vaccines available for every adult as of May 1st. It might have been a good move, kind of just looking ahead to know that there's another month to get people vaccinated well, and give confidence for that. Well, May 1st, you know, he clarified it and said May 1st is when everyone will be eligible. It doesn't mean you're going to be able to get vaccinated right away. Yeah, it sure. means you'll be able to sign up to get a vaccine. So we're in phase, well, depending on what state you're in, like Pennsylvania right now is still in phase 1A, 1B. I, I don't know. 1B, I th no, it's 1A. One one A one B. Out of what? Either way, I, either way, I can't get the vaccine. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I gotta wait till it's phase two before I can get the vaccine. But yeah, sure. So we're we're a different phase. I don't. I mean, I know Florida said that they're gonna eventually move earlier than May first. Now some states may move before May first um, to allow everyone to start scheduling their vaccines. But it's sure. also a matter of supply and whether or not everyone's gonna get vaccinated. That's the other thing. Like we don't the, know if. But universal. For Universal to kind of read the tea leaves that way and say, hey, yeah. this gives us a longer runway to get people right. confidence to get back into theaters. Yeah. Um, I think we've been kind of saying, you know, Universal and Disney are kind of playing theater chicken. Like, who's the first one going to jump out? Was it Fast and Furious or Widow? Um, it does feel like Fast and Furious, we already know, they kind of push a month. Um, Black Widow, you know, what's the story there? It seems like they're sticking. Well, I had Bob Chapek said on the, the earnings call that they're still sticking to that date for now. Uh, I would be shocked if they keep that date. I think ultimately they're going to push maybe a couple weeks um, just to allow more theaters to open. Now, listen, you're not going to get, no one's going to be a hundred percent. I don't think anyone's going to be a hundred, hundred percent until probably next summer. We're probably looking at, any working anywhere between 25 and 50% because everyone's going to still want a social distance. You're going to still have to wear masks. So you're not going to get hundred percent capacity at most of the theaters. So Disney has to weigh that versus how much money they're going to make. If, sure. if certain theaters are only open to 25%, which LA and New York are probably going to stay at 25% for the foreseeable future. What does that mean? So what, what, what's our return? How, this is a, a, huge blockbuster for them. It needs to make a lot of money to make it worth their while. So are they going to do their premium release like they did with Mulan? 
earlier in the year. I mean, is that what we're looking at here where it's going to be a $30 fee and that the fact that they're going to bump a Marvel movie and put it on Disney plus that's, that's a pretty big deal. So it'll yeah. be interesting to see, you know, what, what the lay of the land is as we get closer and closer to the release date and what the global theater landscape looks like and, you know, what capacity limits are and they're going to have to basically do a sort of um, P and L <laughs> really to see if it's really worth investing all the money to, to market it. And then you're going to only fill the theater for 25 to, and at the most, I would imagine 50% at some, in some places. Well, what's it, what's impressive to me is the leadership that Disney is taking here. Now, of course they have, now they're at a hundred million subscribers on Disney plus. So they are at half of Netflix capacity. Yeah. Within that's half Netflix capacity within a year. So that's, yeah. that's huge. They have a big playing field that they can work with and they're, they're beating all the new competition besides Netflix. Or Handling. Yeah. They're not, <laughs> so they have a lot to experiment with. Um, yeah. To, to so they can go there. They have a safety net when it comes to it. Mm -hmm. I almost feel like even if they went to the theaters and they did a theatrical release, a premium theatrical release for a couple of weeks, and then they jumped all over to Disney Plus, they could tell a different story. Like, you know, that yeah. Disney Plus would still make them all, all the money, 100 million mm -hmm. subscribers. Uh, not to mention if they did some kind of premium run or some kind of push just to say like, hey, if you can't see Black Widow in the theaters, come join here. They might get to one one twenty by the end of the the summer, one twenty five by the end of the summer. You could also almost see them doing a reverse of what Warner Media did, where they release it in theaters for a month, and then it goes to Disney Plus for a premium fee. Maybe not the thirty dollars because it's already been in theaters, but still a premium fee. You're gonna have to pay more than just your standard um, subscription fee for Disney Plus. But because the, the theaters are going to sell out, I mean, we have to realize like the real estate doesn't exist, even though there's enough seats that if they're at 25% capacity, you just can't get in the door. And if you want to see Black Widow, you'll you'll go over to Disney Plus and pay the 30 bucks with your friends. And for goodness sakes, if it's if it's twice as good as as Wonder Woman, you, people <laughs> might even want to watch it twice. Do you know what I mean? <gasps> like there might well, be yeah, actually I mean, a you'll watch second it. I mean. I mean, that's what's been Disney Plus's bread and butter is people watching the old movies over and over and over again. And um, you could easily see that happening with Black Widow, especially if they're, you know, Marvel is as savvy as they normally are, where they, you know, throw in little callbacks to the Avengers that you kind of have to really know the mythology to really be able to catch it. So it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing. And there is a pent up demand for it. I mean, look what happened with WandaVision. They had the series finale last week and it basically crashed Disney Plus because it yeah. was it was in such demand. So you could totally see them doing some sort of hybrid model. I mean, they really, out of all the majors, they probably have the best setup right now in terms they have a booming <clears throat> platform and then they also have these movies that people want. Now, obviously the exhibitors would really prefer to to get these movies because they're saying, I can't, we can't get people back in the theaters until there's something to see. And, I, you know, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because I think they've got bigger issues to deal with. But at the same time, you know, it would be interesting to test that thesis to see if we get they, they were given Black Widow and see what happens in terms of whether or not people actually come back to the theater. Um, I, I love the model that they did with WandaVision. It truly did work. They built up to that finale. And it honestly, yep. like, it's, a, it's the old way we used to watch television, right? Like, you would wait, go through the season and get there. Yeah. The tie into the films, so smart. They stay within the universe. They built mm -hmm. a basically 
uh, what they build is a, a, a six week or whatever. Yeah, I guess six week, eight week trailer for the upcoming movie. It really was just like the side movie of what they did. You could imagine if they had Disney Plus, um, you know, five years ago, they would have done that whole um, Han Solo segment of of uh, Disney playing out that yep. same way. That's yep. the these parallel storylines that they're starting to build out. Just so brilliant. Well, um, now we've got WandaVision ending and you've got Falcon and Winter Soldier starting next Friday, right? Is that next Friday? Yes, next Friday. So they're just kind of rolling out. So one on top of the other. So now it's like, oh, I see. So now yeah. they're still continuing to build the universe. And I mean, it's great storytelling and it's what's going to compel people to want to, to engage and subscribe and yeah and all that stuff so but 100 million people on the system in one night does crash it <laughs> yes apparently yeah. it does i haven't watched it yet so i don't want to hear any spoilers well and what's i'm sure like other people like we have one subscription but there are five devices watching right. it at the same time because one kid at college <laughs> well, is watching sure, it. yeah it's one household and then you've got five devices everybody's watching it at the same yeah, time right i right, think right. my married kid in denver uh, might be watching it on my subscription as far as i know. probably is if he's smart he's smart <laughs> i'm sure he is and he but probably he, is watching it but uh here's here's thing something to watch out for so um through um one of our clients um i know that the QAnon movie is coming out q into the storm is being released mm -hmm or it's a documentary series being released on HBO Max. Um, I, that play out, they're gonna do, uh, I think it's six or eight episodes, um, tw two episodes released um, um, a week. So they're gonna mm -hmm. play it out over a few weeks too. And I'm gonna guess in that timeline, they're gonna basically build up an audience, you know, as they build the anticipation. Super smart um, and really kind of competing with that Netflix model of like, we'll just dump this entire thing all at one time and you can binge, binge watch over a weekend they're really kind of playing out this subscriber subscriber base to, well, at least it's one and a half months. You have to be subscribed to HBO, HBO Max to watch the right. entire uh, season. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's, you know, it's interesting because you could argue that the, the, the dump, the 13 episode dump is what really helps Netflix create these cultural milestones. Like you look at Bridgerton, they dumped that entire season and people just kept talking and talking as they watched more and more and more it just became this thing. Um, and it's interesting because you do it that way or you release it once per week. And, but then that's a way to sort of build more intensity. So it, it's, it's kind of interesting to see how it all plays out. And, you know, I know Netflix has started experimenting with the releasing one episode a week, um, especially with some of their um, reality shows, I believe. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see if everyone keep experimenting with the models to see which one drives the most subscribers. Now, obviously Disney is having, you know, wild success with their model yeah. right now. So I don't think they're going to be changing it anytime soon, but, um, you know, I Reed Hastings has said that he looks at Disney plus as their, their, their competitor, their yeah. true competitor right now. Rightly so. I mean, I think uh, Peacock as a instead of an SVOD subscription video on demand, which is mm -hmm. Disney Plus, AVOD would be advertised vis uh, video, video on. on demand. Yes, uh, and that's what Peacock is. And and mm -hmm. Peacock basically saying, hey, we're gonna like a network television. We're gonna put episodes on there, and we'll put advertising in between it. Um, we're kind of used to that model. You know, I'm, I'm okay watching something like YouTube and that kind of stuff. I'm kind of know where to find the video and video references. Mm -hmm. 
But um, it feels like Peacock kind of coming to the field, being Universal's platform, getting their content out there, has a long way to go. Um, that I know their their latest um, numbers were were not as favorable as. Yeah, I mean they I mean they did make about I think 120 million in ad revenue, which is not bad, but they almost lost a billion dollars launching this thing, which was totally within their range of guess. Like they they figured that's what they were going to lose, but it's just a, it just goes to show how much some of these companies are investing to get these things off the ground. And it's interesting because Peacock and to a large extent Paramount Plus are playing a little bit of a different model. They're, they are creating original content, but not to the level that Netflix and Disney Plus are. And they're licensing a lot more content. Like Peacock now, oddly enough, I believe, has the Harry Potter movies, which are Warner Brothers movies. So they should be living at HBO Max. But, you know, Peacock was is playing, still licensing some of their material and, and HBO Max obviously and Warner Media had deals in place and they didn't feel the need to buy back all their uh, their rights like Disney did. Disney basically bought back all the rights to most of their content. And then Paramount Plus is sort of playing this game where they're like, okay, we're gonna just still sell our stuff elsewhere, but you know, we're still gonna have our own exclusive content on Paramount Plus. So they're paying it a little differently. So I'll be interested to see what their numbers look like because they, I don't believe have anything premiered that's sort of like culturally relevant at the moment um now they do have yellowstone which is a huge hit mm -hmm. and i imagine that's going to be coming out um i think they're gonna have another season shortly and i think that well if that only is on paramount plus because i know it's on there's also a possibility it could be on paramount network as well then we'll see how they handle that and see what what ends up shaking out i'll be interested to see what their subscriber numbers look like in the, at the end of the next quarter you have to say, if I'm a content maker today, if I'm out there trying to put out a show and figure out where to place it, um, I feel like my my landscape of where to put things at to so it'd be visible, be relevant to people, and be pop culture hit. Um, things like Peacock, I don't know. I mean, I'd be happy if it landed on Peacock. Trust me, opposed to something, you know, opposed to nothing. That's obviously a relevant network. Um, right. But it really feels like the playing field is leveraged very much in these subscriber-based items. So I, I was working with someone last week talking about uh, comedy content they're putting out there. And without a doubt, you're going to go to Netflix for comedy content. It's just like Netflix is totally killing it in that space. They kind of built up that audience as a total, mm -hmm. feel like secondary revenue stream of like, hey, now we're going to be the place to go for. And then you find like all the genres within that, that Netflix space. Um, when you think about Paramount Plus, um, Peacock, HBO Max, really you just feel like it's a, only an extension of the current studio, the current network. They're not, mm -hmm. they're not making a secondary space for it and therefore those kind of audiences. Um, so they're to me like I, I almost feel like you're just taking radio and then putting radio on television. It's like that, you know, like that, those first steps of early television were just yeah. like, let's take the radio program and then put the actors on stage in front of a microphone and do it yeah yeah instead of like evolving the medium in such a way that is building up something new that's where disney is totally breaking through where like they actually realize they have a different platform and they can play a totally get different game regardless if it's a theater a, a disney plus you know whatever else they're gonna kind of uh, mess with in the universe. yeah and they they largely don't i mean most of their um like abc content and whatnot is all on hulu so Disney has a very sort of distinct brand attached to it. And, you know, they've got the, the hubs, they got Marvel, they got Star Wars, you know, 
And then once the Obi-Wan series comes out, that's probably going to be a huge hit. So that's going to drive even more subs. Um, you could see it when they get to the Boba Fett, the Boba Fett Chronicles or whatever they were going to call it. I mean, that's going to drive. I mean, they've got such great content coming that you can only see this, just the slope going upwards for them. And you can understand why Bob Chapik was like, listen, we believe in a theatrical experience, but we don't think it's going to go back to the way it was ever. Like yeah. this is a totally dynamic shift. We don't think there's ever going to, things are ever going to be the same. And listen, the industry is, especially the studios are hurting. Like there, I heard there were layoffs at Paramount on Friday. So they're, they're still things shifting there and they're just not making money. And I don't believe those jobs are ever coming back. So we're looking at sort of a complete realignment. So if you look at what some of these streamers are going to be doing, they're like the, the next phase of the entertainment world, basically. Yeah, sure. And I don't think you're going to go back to the, the it, we're, this is the game I think we're going to be playing. Like, okay, do we release it on a streamer or do we put it in a theater? And I think, again, going back to Disney, that's what their model is now. They, they've created a whole division whose sole purpose is to figure out where the content's going to live. So, you know, I think they're they're playing the game as best they can at the moment. And I think they've really got a lot of the cards, to be quite honest. It's pretty, it's pretty fascinating to think of, isn't it? That the, um, the Disney or the Paramount layoff is, again, like just another indication of what has gone away. And even if they're doing it for reasons of just budgetary reasons, um, when you hire someone back, you're not going to hire them back with older capabilities. You're going to hire them with new capabilities. Um, and the, you have to know Paramount Plus is really where their money is being put right now. When I when I drive through Hollywood um, this last week, um, and all that I saw was uh, bus stop after bus stop of Paramount Plus, Plus. logos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they they're they're making a splash at least on the coast, New York and, and Los Angeles. They're trying to make sure people know that they're out there. Um, again, playing to the same audience that, you know, like is in the industry. It's always so weird that like the first audience they play to are just their friends and family that are in the industry. <laughs> um, but the relevance uh, of the workplace is like what? Well, if, if it's in the Valley, it's different. Cause you know, in the, in, 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 if you work in the business in LA, like if you do something in the Valley, that's just a different world. Yeah, it's totally. not the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Like you're going to, if you're going to screen a movie, you go to Thousand Oaks because it's a different, different scrape of people out there. It's yeah. not the same people, even though a vast majority, vast majority of executives live in Thousand Oaks, but that's okay. It's, it's still as close totally as, world. It's as close as Hollywood wants to get to the middle of the country. Like yes, Kansas exactly. or Van Nuys. Ah, Van Nuys, Let's go Van Nuys. That works. <laughs> it's the center of the porn industry, you know, just like the middle <laughs> of the country. Yeah, there you go. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's totally <laughs> ridiculous. Um, yeah, no, I think that the, the Paramount Plus push, though, is, and I'm with you, like, it doesn't register. I don't have anything in my mind that registers of, like, oh, I can't wait for Paramount Plus to come out so I can watch the old Top Gun movies. I don't have to watch it on VHS anymore or whatever. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, wh why would it get subscribed in that, in that field? Um, I'm yeah. going to predict that some of these players are going to merge their capabilities together. Um, there's going to be like a Pluto TV kind of a move on some of these and say, let's add CBS. Um, cause that's what Paramount plus is, is the CBS Viacom yep. uh, playout. Right. Yep. So we're going to be mixing the CBS content, um, inside of my, you know, um, um, television, my smart TV somehow and be able to merge multiple of these, um, items together that way mm. through one search box. Um, I can kind of find whatever I need to on all these platforms. Um, in a way, like um, the Comcast's television box did that years ago with their remote, where you could easily just ask the remote 
one question, no matter what platform it was on, if it was on Amazon or not, they would do a search for you, yeah. and bring it to your television set. That's the technological breakthrough that's going to happen soon enough. Um, because I just honestly, I'm not going to search through. I'm not going to do the work of searching through everyone. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Apple has tried to solve that somewhat with their Apple TV, where you just go on Apple and it sort of accesses all the apps that you have on Apple TV and it lists everything you're currently watching. But in terms of content discovery, it you're right. I mean, there's only so many people that are going to willing to search. Now, there's research that says people are up uh, willing to have upwards to have up to four or five streaming services at every given point. And then they'll just watch the show they want to watch and then they'll cancel it because that's, you know, well, I'll cancel it. And when the new season comes back on, I'll resubscribe. Um, so it'll be interesting to see like how this shift starts to happen. And if there is sort of a combo. And the one thing I think we're forgetting neglecting to mention is I believe Roku is also thinking about getting into the original content game. So we'll see what they end up coming up with because my in-laws even just bought a Roku. So that gives you a sense of the fact that they're even, you know, my in-laws who don't watch any TV, but still engage with Netflix and, you know, uh, some of the other services, Amazon Prime, that even they're looking for to try to play in this new space. So it'll be interesting it's, to see what happens with Roku. So, and, that's such a brilliant move, by the way, because for some people, Roku is streaming television, like AOL yeah. was the internet. The internet so yep. it, like you didn't, you never hit the internet, you just stayed with an AOL. Yep. They can hijack the experience before you even get to Disney and, and um, Netflix and such on their platform. They could just basically hijack you and give you the content before everyone else. Super, yep. super brilliant move because Roku just, it there's probably as many Roku boxes as there are Apple boxes sitting out there. And they just had like a, a, a like a, one of their biggest years ever. So yeah, sure. <laughs> I think they're, oh, yeah, they're definitely going to be, they're definitely flush with cash that they can play with. So it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing with it. Yeah, so brilliant. Well, once again, my friend, um, there's more to talk about than we can kind of wrap our heads around on a weekly basis. Fit in a, fit in um, a 30 minute show. <laughs> but tell us who's coming up next week. Cause we actually have a couple oh, of yes. uh, guests stacked. A couple of guests coming up. Yes. Yeah. So I can't, we can actually talk about that. Like we haven't done this before. So I'm kind of excited. So next week we have uh, Cameron Dilvo returning, which is I'm very excited about. She is our contact Amazon prime video. Interesting to see all the good news that's going on there, especially after coming to America just premiered on their service not too long ago. Um, yeah, so, so and we've had Cameron on before, but to be yes. clear, like she's in charge of Prime Video Brand, so the, she yes. is our insider's insider on what's happening in the Prime Video yeah. space for Amazon. Very cool. Yeah, and the week after that, um, I've, we have a, a creative Cami Sargent who's coming on. Um, she's uh, I knew her in my time at Fox. She is responsible for one of the most watched trailers in history, uh, the Fault in Our Stars trailer, the only trailer I've ever seen where it got a standing ovation in a conference room at 20th Century Fox. So, oh, how brilliant. Uh, she has that uh, badge on her belt, but uh, she'll be joining us as well. And uh, she had a, she's also set a stint at Netflix, so she'll be able to sort of provide some backstory on what, what's going on there. So some very exciting guests coming up in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I love it. And and uh, again, the, so our, our goal here is to kind of give the insider scoop of what's going on in Hollywood so that you, the content makers, marketing directors, um, promoters that are out there kind of, uh, struggling in your own space or finding the way to thrive, we kind of want to hear from you and be part of that conversation. So we love having those friends there. Keith, we're lucky to have you and your buddies kind of string along <laughs> with what we have going on here. It's pretty fun. Yep. Um, for those of you that are in Clubhouse, we appreciate you listening today. Uh, don't forget tomorrow morning is Hollywood Breakfast, uh, going off this whole idea. And we're going to just recap the week, what we saw 
happening this week um, and kind of open it up to open mic, let people have conversations, ask us questions. So that's tomorrow morning on, on Clubhouse. Um, and then always, we can't do without our producer, Lydia. Lydia, thanks for all that you have going on behind the scenes, keeping us going and making sure our technology works. We appreciate you and Curly Joe for all the support. Um, thank you all. And we'll see you again next week on Hollywood Breaks. See you next week.